Good morning. It is the 20th of January, 2024. Lively conversation going on in the live chat before we went live. And I wanted to start with this, with this um, interesting observation. My news video that I did yesterday about a bishop in Argentina who was a pretty bad dude getting a promotion, that story, like minutes before I went live, suddenly there was an update to that story. And so we're going to do this now. Now, that news video got very few views, which was odd. And I suspect we have now gotten into the 2024 political version of the algorithm here on our lovely host's website, where all of a sudden things don't get seen as much, because I've noticed this across the board on a lot of channels that I like to watch, where suddenly I'm having to go look for their content, if it's anything that's not just turn your brain off and have a good time watching it kind of videos on this platform. So that's what I suspect is going on here, but it's been something I've noticed for the last couple of weeks here, but we're going to go into our story today where it looks like Cardinal Fernandez has left a sort of curse in the Episcopate of Argentina. See, Cardinal Fernandez is from Argentina. He's from a diocese who I had to like quadruple check to make sure the name of his diocese wasn't the name of another diocese in Argentina that's actually central to the story today because they're similar. So prior to July 2023, now Cardinal Fernandez, who was at that time just the Archbishop of La Plata, Argentina, he accepted his appointment to the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, and he was made a cardinal as befits the holder of the office of prefect for the dicastery of the doctrine of the faith in September 2023 though he really began running the dicastery prior to that in August, I think it was. He wasted no time once he was there. We got, I mean, how many dubia responses did we get and responses to bishops on various doctrinal questions, almost none of them orthodox in nature, or most of them ambiguous, and you could read them in any way that you want. Remember, he's been there now five months, <laughs> okay? He wasted no time. In fact, there are now conflicting reports about what he said in response to fiducia supplicants. Some media reports say he has promised he's not going to issue any more documents for a while to get him in the news, and others have said he's uh, doubled down on it. Depends who you ask at this point. But our story here is really about appointments to the Episcopate in Argentina. You see, once Cardinal Fernandez was gone from La Plata in Argentina, his successor was named from an arch a diocese named Mara del Plata. Do you understand why this can be confusing? It's an entirely different diocese in an entirely different part of the country than Cardinal Fernandez's old diocese of La Plata. So if you are in Argentina, and if I'm getting the names wrong, please, and I don't just mean like how I'm pronouncing it, but like the actual geographic names, I triple checked this, but please do so in the comments, correct me, because I mean, imagine if you will, I'm, I'm reporting here off using a lot of American media for this. But imagine, if you will, if the United States had a di had the Archdiocese of San Francisco and then another diocese elsewhere in the country called the Diocese of F Francisco. Can you imagine what would happen? The news reporting on that would be all over the board. A lot of outsiders and, frankly, a lot of Americans would get confused with the happenings of one diocese to another. So trying to avoid confusion here. Fernandez was in La Plata, Argentina, and his successor in La Plata came from Mar del Plata. Are we clear? I hope so. Now, as often is the case, especially in the Synodal Church of the New Advent, finding a bishop to replace Touchy Fernandez's successor has been difficult. It's actually putting it rather mildly. You see, the story begins with Bishop Gabriel Antonio Mestre, who was named Archbishop of La Plata. Bishop Mestre was announced to be Touchy's successor in La Plata, becoming an archbishop in the process. 
congratulations to him, I guess, on that appointment. I hope he's one of the decent one bishops in that country and not an out-and-out Bergolian like so many who seem to be getting the promotions under the Bergolian church has seemed to be these days. For quick coverage of this for context, as this is important context for this, we will go to uh, the we go to catholicculture.org in an article written by Phil Lawler just three days ago. So he says, headline here is the newly appointed, oh, this is the wrong one. Like there, there is so many articles on this now that it's actually remarkable. So, because he Phil Lawler doesn't go quite enough into that one for my taste. So here he goes, newly appointed Arch Argentine bishop resigns before installation. This came back in December, okay? So just over a month ago. There is this is not that big of a story by itself, okay? But we were looking at like a sort of a domino effect of resignations here that don't make a lot of sense by themselves. What you're going to hear in this story does sound on the surface logical. A bishop resigns because he is due to have a whole lot of complicated surgeries that are going to have him sidelined for months. But I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Why would a bishop accept a post in the first place? He knew he was going to have surgery, and no one seems to be asking why he accepted that post, knowing he'd be going in for multiple rounds of delicate surgery. And I say delicate because this will absolutely sideline a bishop. And I know this because I had a my brother had a very, very similar procedure to this. He couldn't do anything for like six weeks. He was basically on the on a couch for six weeks after having this kind of procedure. And this is an outpatient thing. They did the thing. I dropped him off. And like five hours later, I picked him up and drove him home. So to give you an idea. So, quote, in an unusual turn of events, Pope Francis has accepted the resignation of an Argentine bishop from his new office just three weeks after his appointment, but before his installation. On November 24th, Pope Francis named Auxiliary Bishop Jose Maria Molina of Buenos Aires, 64, as the new Bishop of Mar del Plata, Argentina's fifth largest city. Ordained a priest of the Archdiocese of Buenos Aires in 1989, Molina was appointed an Auxiliary Bishop by Pope Francis in 2015. In discussing his resignation, Bishop Bolinia cited two recent operations for a detached retina, with a third scheduled for February. When my appointment was published, I received such an avalanche of greetings, reports, and recommendations that I realized I was not in a position to take on the mission there, he said. After discerning it better and consulting with the Holy See, I decided to present my resignation, Bishop Bolinia said, that he would continue to offer his priestly service in the Archdiocese of Buenos Aires. As he accepted Bishop Bolinia's resignation, Pope Francis named Auxiliary Bishop Gustavo Manuel Lada Zabal of San Juan de Cuyo as the new Bishop of Mar del Plata. End quote. That's where we was, where we were, rather, just before Christmas. It's a weird story. Again, the bishop accepted a promotion while already scheduled for complicated surgery that would have him sidelined for weeks, if not months. Then resigns when he realized he's scheduled for complicated surgery that will leave him completely unable to do his job. Maybe the story is what the official reporting says it is. I'd be more inclined to accept that if it wasn't for things how, how things played out here. As I reported on in yesterday's news video that this got a lot more complicated when, because especially uh, when Bishop Gustavo Ladezabal, Auxiliary Bishop San Juan de Coyo, Argentina, was appointed to replace him in Mar del Plata. He's one of those priests who really liked that his office came with some perks, we'll say, including and especially that it put him in contact with the ladies. Reportedly, he got really handsy with a few of them, which came back to haunt him. Not long before I made the video that I was due to be made to the public, not long, the video yesterday went live at five in the morning and like a couple of hours before that or something, the news, this news that we're going to go over here broke. 
but we're going to revisit a little bit of that video from yesterday for some of this. So we go to the pillar for this fantastic. Uh, we go, yeah, we go to the pillar here for this headline. Let me bring that up. The pillar cat pillar cat. Oh, come on. I have so many tabs open. It's actually impossible to find anything anymore. So again, we go to pillar and it brings us with this. This headline, second Argentine bishop in a row resigns before installation. An Argentine see fell vacant again Wednesday after a second bishop in a row resigned before he was installed as the head of the diocese. That's, that's, it's incredible. You don't see that happen. He resigned when the news broke out of his alleged background. I'll say alleged because everybody should have a presumption of innocence, right? This is kind of par for the course for Paca Papa Francis. He has a long track, track record of appointing wicked men to the episcopate and sidelining good bishops. Let's go over a few of them. First and foremost, Cardinal Fernandez. Most recently, he when he was a when he was a, a bishop in Argentina, he was accused of sweeping the Caracana priests and the troubles they've caused under the rug, shuttling priests around. You get the idea. We are all very well aware of what these kinds of bishops did during the height of that stuff. Fernandez was accused of doing that himself. Bear in mind, he has been a priest for about a decade. Okay, so this is not ancient history. Then there was a Chilean bishop named Juan Bados accused of hiding, again, McCarrick-type priests back in 2018. Another one, Brooklyn bishop here in the United States, Nicholas DiMarzio, was chosen to investigate these kinds of accusations in the U.S. when he had been accused of hiding these kinds of priests himself. Maybe that makes him a good, good investigator on these things. I don't know. And then, of course, Bishop Strickland was investigated during his apostolic visitation by two bishops who had swept these kinds of problems under the rug. Because apparently, I guess, they're a moral authority on seeing how well a diocese is being run. No, I'm not saying Bishop Strickland ever did stuff like that. So we go back to this article here. The This is the Pillar article, quote, An Argentine see fell vacant again Wednesday after a second bishop in a row resigned before he was installed as head of the diocese. Pope Francis accepted the resignation January 17th of 62-year-old Bishop Gustavo Larrazabal, 35 days after he appointed him as Bishop of Mar del Plata in eastern Argentina, and just three days before Larrazabal's installation. The Pope had nominated Larrazabal on the day that he accepted the resignation of 65-year-old Bishop Jose Maria Bolina, 22 days after he named him as the head of the diocese, serving around 774,000 Catholics. The Vatican did not provide reasons for the resignation of either bishop, but Bellinia said in December 5th letter to Catholics in Mar de Plata that he had struggled following surgery for a retinal detachment and decided to resign, quote, after further discernment and consultation with the Holy See. In a January 17th letter to members of the diocese, Lerazabal wrote, quote, I share with you that after a process of dis discernment and prayer carried out very conscientiously, I have concluded that it is not opportune to assume the pastoral governance of the diocese of Mar de Plata, and I presented my resignation to Pope Francis, with, who with much understanding accepted it. For this reason, I will continue my service as Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of San Juan. Now, we'll get to what he's been alleged to have done, but note something here. Larazabal has stepping down from being the ordinary of a diocese, but he's still staying as an Auxiliary Bishop in a larger Archdiocese, that of San Juan. Apparently, what you're about to hear is enough to bar him from serving as the ordinary of a diocese, but not from assisting the ordinary of his old and, once again, current diocese. Tell me if that makes sense to you, because it does not make sense to me in the slightest. I do not understand the logic here, unless he, you know, knows things that are, are shielding him from actually paying for the things he's alleged to have done. So, 
here's the scoop on this bishop. Quote, before Loraza Ball's resignation, the apostolic nunciature to Argentina took the usual step of issuing a public statement underlining that the Holy See had, quote, full confidence in the bishop. The January 9th press release also deplored what it described as, quote, the rumors that circulate and have no basis. The nunciature did not spe specify the nature of the rumors, but the local daily newspaper La Capital reported the same day that Olorazabal's installation was in doubt due to the emergence of allegations against the bishop, a member of the Claritian order. The paper said that Lorazabal had faced allegations of harassment and uh, misuse of power from an unnamed woman from Mar del Plata who works for an organization linked to the church. It is said that its reporters had, quote, obtained testimonies from people very close to the woman, secondhand meaning, who did not wish to speak with the media. The 56-year-old woman charged that the events occurred in Buenos Aires between 2007 and 2013, after which the religious was transferred to Mendoza, the province where he was born on January 31st, 1961, in the town of San Jose, Gaimayan Department, Low Capital wrote. Larazapal, who was appointed an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of San Juan de Cuyo, in western Argentina in March 2022, does not appear to have responded publicly to the allegations, end quote. In 18, 19 months, he went from being appointed an auxiliary bishop to becoming the bishop of a diocese. That's remarkable. That is a very, very fast promotion. And it took secondhand words against him from somebody who said he basically got handsy with them to derail that. So again, if this is true, the bishop decided that he could still be an assistant bishop in a larger archdiocese, but not the actual ordinary of a different diocese due to what has been said about him. Let me know if that actually makes any sense to you. I'm very curious because none of this makes sense to me. Also note that the Vatican says these allegations aren't true, that they're sticking by their man. Now that's in keeping with Vatican attitudes about these sorts of things, unfortunately. They have a long track record of this since Francis came to the Vatican, and it really took enormous public and international pressure for Francis to respond to Ted McCarrick the way he ultimately did by removing him and all from office, laicizing him and handing him over to the authorities. It took enormous pressure for that to happen. But hey, unlike that time, at least this time it involves women, right? I guess there's a we should look for the silver lining in the silver lining in the clouds here. So it looks to me like that diocese now has kind of a weird curse on it. No, it's not the diocese of the lightning strike that hit the statue of St. Peter and destroyed the blessing hand and the key symbolizing offices. That happened at the shrine of San Nicola in the diocese of San Nicola, which is a neighboring diocese, just to be clear. A place where there's some interesting apparitions said to be tied to the place. And I'm curious if people want me to actually go into that. I've actually had messages from people asking if I would be willing to make a video about that, but I don't know if unless people really want it. Good morning to the chat, because I'm going to pivot here to something else, go to something else that's some good news that came out from an unexpected place, but I'm going to go back here. All right. So yeah, good morning to the chat for wherever you may be. Joseph says, we do have in the U.S. the Diocese of Portland and the Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, so there you go, right? And if you don't know, if you're, if you're not paying that much attention, you might think that your bishop you know, in Portland, Oregon, just did something that the bishop in Maine did. <laughs> okay, so this is why they. Uh, I wanted to make sure. And I have it correct, says a Chile expat family. Good. I'm very glad. I Again, I triple-checked that because the name was so close. At first, I thought it was Fernandez's own diocese, so I wanted to make sure I wasn't wrong on that. Dr. Obvious says the story makes no sense. How can the bishop do priestly duties if he's recovering from, the, from surgeries? Um, the most obvious thing, we have what are called in in the church right now 
any diocese really has auxiliary bishops. Most of them do. But there's also the there is also another kind of assistant bishop. But then this is one with automatic right of succession. Could not the Vatican simply like if Francis say, okay, you're recovering from surgery. Let's temporarily give more authority to one of your existing auxiliary bishops who's been there already for a while. So he knows the lay of the land. He can assist you in your duties. And when you are fully able to return to, to duty, he goes back to being a normal auxiliary bishop. Right. And then they choose an auxiliary bishop who's most likely to get promoted in the future to becoming a, the ordinary for a diocese. That would make more sense instead of, you know, this bishop stepping down. Or why would he take it in the first place? I mean, the, the story is weird. Chile says uh, he's been there. Very good. Or she. <laughs> um, thank you, Deanna. Maybe someone is leaking info on Bishop they don't want until they get preferred one. That could be. I don't know. They, the Vatican is going to be being very careful with the next appointment because if they have a third bishop do this, then, then you know there's a very real problem going on. Good to see you too, GFDTH. Trey Fontaine. I would be careful with Trey Fontaine. Not because I don't think the apparition is real. I very much do. It's that I've got, I've, I have received word from Italian traditional Catholics that the English language translation is corrupted, like purposely corrupted. That the, if you read the Italian accounts of the apparition of Trey Fontaine, Our Lady of Revelation, they do not line up at all with what the English book, English language books are saying about it. And that there's apparently an Italian language translation or, or a good English translation in the works but that might take years. So be careful with Trey Fontaine. Not that it, I don't think it happened. It did very clearly, but you got to be careful with that English translation because it sounds like Our Lady is endorsing essentially everything, all the errors we see in the church afterwards. Um, Teresa says, it's amazing how bishops get appointed and replaced quickly in places of the world whilst waiting years for bishops to be appointed here in Australia. Look at Broom and Bunbury. And there's plenty of places in America that have had essentially been governed by, from a neighboring diocese by an archbishop for a long time too. Dr. Avia says these troubled bishops are the fruits of the Vatican II Novus Ordo ape of the church tree. I mean, that's part of this problem. Really it is. Um, we, I mean, when you get people in high places in the church as a consistent problem who have like these moral failings that aren't just slight, but it's like become systematic. There's, you know, there's a larger problem going on. All right. Flying Tiger suggests that there were people in his own diocese he could manipulate. Yeah, probably. Um, Lottie says she would love to hear the video from about that apparition. This is what keeps our stable, our lady. Yeah, I, I might do one. Um, especially if you're in Argentina or are familiar with that apparition, please send me any information on where I could find good accounts of what was said there. All right. So let's, let's pivot a little bit here because we have some uh, actual good news for once. And it's the, we have this from the Diane Montagna, the, the Catholic journalist who during the Synod on Synodality would ask hard questions at every press release or at, at every press conference that the Synodal Cardinals were having. She gave us this. She said, the Dutch bishops reject blessings for double S types proposed by fiducia supplicants. Saying a prayer may be said only over individual believers, asking God for strength and assistance on the invocation of the Holy Spirit that he, she may understand God's will for his, her life. I'm going to read this to you and I'm going to read you a few reactions to this because the reactions are mixed because this document isn't as like in your face about this as some of the other bishops. But the Dutch bishops, at least being a little more like close to the actual Catholic teaching, 
was not anything anybody expected. Nobody expected this response from them. And I'm quite pleased with it. So in relative to what I expected. So from this, it dated the 16th. So this took like four days really to actually hit the news. The statement issued by the Dicaster for the Doctrine of the Faith, Fiducia Supplicants, on the 18th of December last, highlighted the importance of accompaniment in the church for, pers for persons living in such relationships and for divorced persons remarried. As our church is a welcoming church, the Dutch bishops of Pope Francis underline the pastoral importance of closeness and accompaniment. The bishops' conference notes that the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith and its statement, Fiducia Supplicants, holds in accordance with sacred scripture and the tradition of the church, that marriage is only possible in the traditional understanding and indissoluble, and that irregular relationships of any kind encounter intrinsic moral objections. The Dutch bishops do not wish to deny anyone the support and strength of God. It is possible to say a prayer, note the word there, prayer, over individual believers living in an irregular relationship. What one asks for in the prayer and the manner in which one prays are important here. Also true. In the case of someone living in an irregular or James Martin type situation, the ordained minister may say a simple prayer outside the context of a wedding celebration of prayer service. In this prayer, God can be asked for strength and assistance on the invocation of his spirit so that he or she may understand God's will with his, her life and continue to grow. This makes it clear in the wording chosen that this is not a blessing or confirmation of an irregular relationship and also avoids confusion with holy matrimony, which according to the Catholic Church can only be done in the way traditionally understood. In this way, prayer can give the strength to draw near to God and live in accordance with his intentions for the creation of holy matrimony in the traditional sense. Now, I take this to be good news because you note that word there that they used. They used the word prayer. They didn't say blessing. Anybody can go up to a priest and ask for a blessing, and then they give the priest's instructions what kind of priest or what kind of prayer they can get. And the prayer they can get from the priest is one for knowing God's will in their life. There is nothing wrong with that, not by my not by my reading of it, and which is why I find some of these reactions here very interesting. So uh, Damian Thompson, for instance, he's a on over here. He posted this on Twitter. He said. He's the editor of The Spectator, by the way, <laughs> and he writes the Holy Smoke uh, pod, or he's the voice behind the Holy Smoke podcast. He said that the they don't explicitly reject the blessing, meaning the Dutch bishops, but by using the word prayer, they're basically telling Tuco, you are way out of your depth. You didn't invent a new form of blessing. You screwed up badly. And that's very subtle way of uh, rejecting the document. Now, because one of the things that Fernandez said was the real novelty in that document is that it created a new form of blessing, this new theology of ascending and descending blessings and all sorts of other weird stuff. And they they just reject all of it. They reject the entire basis for the practice being different than the, than the belief, right? Instead, they offer the, anybody can receive a prayer over them to know what God's will is in their life. And that is exactly true. There's nothing really, I don't think, wrong with that. Well, let's take a look. Um... Just making sure there's uh, good things happening in the chat because sometimes we do need to make make sure of that. Oh come on, where'd the rest, where'd the other one go? Let's see. Um, and then we got Edward Feaser, who <laughs> he had this to say on Twitter. Also, he's another person worth your follow. If you're on Twitter, you should give him a follow. He said, "Some claim this affirms rather than departs from fiducia supplicants, but while it is polite, the fact that it says it is possible to say a prayer over individual believers." rather than speaking as FS does of, quote, the possibility of blessing couples, can hardly be accidental. And, you know, the question I have here is, why doesn't, if if that was the intention of fiducia supplicants, as they keep telling us, even though none of us believes it, 
why was it easy for the Dutch bishops to do this and not the for the to communicate it in three paragraphs, unlike the card the cardinal who's in charge for the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith? Why was that so hard for him to do? Unless his per that was not his purpose at all, but was to sow confusion, which is what I think it is. So here we go to this. It says, remember, the Dutch are the ones responsible for the Dutch catechism, which came out in like the 70s, which was like a heretical catechism. It got a lot of attention from Rome and was one of the things that spurred on the creation of the catechism of the Catholic Church because the Dutch catechism was horrible. But a Catholic writer here says that maybe they see rightly that blessing the couple is the Pandora's box for making a complete mockery of the act of blessing, since the document insists that you can bless two people engaging in basically an evil situation at that very moment without even acknowledging it. And that's the truth. Remember, the define what, what defines something as a couple? It's the union that binds them, right? And what we have heard repeatedly from the Pope's planners and from the Vatican is that it doesn't, it, it blesses the couple without the union, which is weird because it's a distinction you can't make because it is the union that defines people such as they are. In that same way that the sacrament, the, the sacramental binding in, a, in holy matrimony is what defines them as married, right? That's what it is. So I don't understand where they got this idea, but I'm pleasantly surprised to see the Dutch bishops taking a more rational approach, which I never thought I'd say, because if you followed my coverage of the Synod on Synodality, they were calling for all sorts of weird stuff, including on this topic. So this was nice to see. Um, all right, let's take a look. Chile tells us that he met his former Bishop Bados in the article I was, the story I was covering earlier. He was pushed out by uh, hammered sickle followers in the church because of his politics. And he was traditional, but no source. He was like traditionally minded, right? Okay. Yeah. Is there anyone live in the chat from Arizona besides Robert? <laughs> um, Patrick says he grew up in central New Jersey, but was born in Oklahoma, moved back here years ago. Still have, still hard of the Vatican, but Oklahoma is much more affordable. Yeah. That's why I stay here. Despite the weather. <laughs> it's because it's much more affordable. And because I also don't have to worry too much about like society here degrading. All right. So I'm curious what you think about what they had to say, what the, what the Dutch had to say in their statement. I thought it was pretty straightforward and it was and more orthodox than any of us should have ever expected from the, from the Dutch. And are you too late, Jaron? Yeah, we're getting close to wrapping this up, but I do recommend you go back to the beginning because the, because the main story is uh, it's weird. <laughs> it's a weird story out of Argentina. Um, again, that story in Argentina is not related to the lightning strike on the St. Peter statue that happened in an entirely different diocese. Now, maybe it's related in some sort of like spiritual, supernatural sense. I don't know. Leave that up to your personal judgment. But if it's related, it's like tangentially related. So well, good morning to you, Pax Semper in Malaysia. <laughs> good morning to you. Uh, make sure to hit like if you haven't. It would be helpful. I do have an interesting uh, video to you all, for you also coming here in about an hour and a half on um, a Cardinal Mueller flat out saying that our heretic Pope loses his office and his reasoning for it. That's interesting and worth your time today. So when that goes live in about an hour and a half, please check that out. And if you're a channel member, you, you got a notification for it already. So good morning. Well, thank you very much, Xavier. Appreciate it. The Dutch have a tradition of heresy, says Han Pan. Yeah, the uh, Dutch catechism. Go look up the stuff about the Dutch catechism. It That was one of those things in the 70s that caused an, a lot of consternation in the church. 
it was remarkable the stuff that they were pushing for that was just complete breaks with the church's teaching on a lot of basic stuff if uh let me put it to you this way if we'd had youtube and podcasts and things back in the 70s that would have been the dutch catechism would have been dominating our coverage for months kind of how fiducia supplicants looks like it's going to happen because it's already been more than a month now since that document we're still talking about it i have literally made videos i, I just finished a video for monday or tuesday already <laughs> to continue that conversation so good morning to you in germany um nk is in kenya well good morning to you cardinal mueller yeah i do remember flying tigers that uh i covered uh what cardinal mueller said that that they had suspicions about Fernandez many years ago when he was the prefect for the congregation, the doctrine of the faith. What will Cardinal Mueller do if he's given the Strickland treatment? Richard says, correction, when? Well, I will tell you this much. Um, Cardinal Mueller, at least when it comes to like material resources, will probably fare better only for this reason. He publishes books and they do tend to sell pretty well. So he'll at least have that going for him. But when it comes to, would he allow himself to be silenced by the Vatican? I, I don't know the answer to that question. Will I cover vegan? I did. I briefly mentioned it in a live stream, like the day after he made the call for it. There is no, there's no precedent for that happening. And so it's never going to happen. The, um, I have spoken to people who have actually met Swiss guard before, and they do not tolerate any, negative talk about the the Pope or the man they see as Pope or anything. This is not going to happen. Not from the Swiss guard. All right. What can I tell you about the expected great King of France? I've done videos on him. I've got stuff on that before. If you want to check that out, go for it. If that chastisement's coming, that means guys walking around right now, probably a military figure in France beyond that. I don't know. I do tend to think that that's the, um, but, but the great king of France, angelic pontiff prophecies are one of the reasons why I don't think the Malachi, St. Malachi prophecy is real because it doesn't line up. In fact, it conflicts with it. And the great king of France and St. Malachi prophecy, well, St. Malachi prophecy has one person with a, that's very sketchy, not St. Malachi himself, but like it's very sketchy history. Whereas the um, great king of France, angelic pontiff stuff, there's a lot of saints in history who made prophecies about that. And I've got a lot of videos on them. I used to do my We Were Warned videos like twice a month for like two years on this channel. I'm even at it this early on a Saturday. I'm always, I have done a live stream every single day of the week since uh, Bishop Strickland was canned back in, in November. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in and make sure to pray for everybody we talked about today. Keep them saying Ave Maria later for them. Um, especially if you had like a, any kind of negative thoughts about them. We must always try to be as charitable as we can when talking, especially prelates of the church, even if it's ends up being that, that our suspicions that this is the ape of the church turns out to be right. We're still called to be charitable. After all, our Lord told us to love even our enemies. And if we have to love them, we have to love everybody else too. So, so always pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.